<laughs> I think I'm it's just the joke. Is someone standing? What the hell? Is I don't know, dude. It's Did you just out. see that? There was a human being standing there, and then he turned on the light, and he was actually outside. And there's a picture of me again. I wish that would not do that. Programmer vs. World, episode 1, May 2nd, 2015. Well, as far as you know, this is episode 1. This really could be like... This could be our 18th episode 1. You really wouldn't know. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm your host for this grand adventure, and uh, who you just heard talking was Gabe, who's on here as well. We originally had two guests on for tonight, but one of them backed out on us. What a loser. Now, he actually had some issues come up, and he couldn't actually make it, so we'll make do with Zach. And uh, <laughs> Zach is from a telecom and cable company that will remain unnamed. Uh, no guesses. Uh, he's an engineer that works heavily with Java, OSGI, and Adobe CQ. But, uh, you're not going to introduce my back backstory and my back history? No, I was going to let you're you not, do you're that. Not gonna, you're not going to comment on my degree of awesomeness? No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> So, yeah. No, I figure it, right. it'll, it'll all become uh, cl- clear as time goes on. It'll all come out. It'll, yeah. it'll all come out. This is like one long interrogation. Just freaking Friday, crack. did anything actually interesting happen this week? How about you guys? Yes. Like? Yes. Well, so I work for a large technology company. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to say names, but... <laughs> Um, no I had some interesting things happen this week you know I was extremely busy um, both on side projects personal projects and uh, my work here which is beaming beaming email to my face right now Um, yeah yeah good things it's good things Friday after 5 o'clock it's when all the emails come in well yeah, and, and since this company is majorly East Coast, and I'm in Western Time, um, oh yeah, I get them early. So <laughs> it's sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing, right? So sometimes it's just like it's three o'clock on a Friday, and I'm out. <laughs> um, however, six a.m. on a Monday, ouch. So you know, it's got it's got its pros and cons. But no, I uh, I passed a training course today and. Well, for the people Did listening, the, there. you were one of the people that have made the jump from, wow, you jumped completely over software architecture. So you went from like senior engineer to solutions architect all in one jump, right? Yeah. So, yeah. What do I, what do I begin, dude? Like, there's no learning curve there. That's, it's, that's it's, a, rid- it's ridiculous. It's a, it's, a, it's a lateral. Yeah, of course. It's a lateral move. Um, no, the jump, the jump was, it's pretty substantial, man. Like. I don't know. Sometimes I have to think to myself, like, did I, did I go too far? 
Sometimes, no, like seriously. I know, I know the feeling. Sometimes in your career, you're just like, oh, this sounds great. And then you get in there, you're just like, wait a minute. You're like, uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but keep in mind, half the other people along there with you are thinking the same thing. And that, and that very well may be, you know, yes. that, that could just be the MO of, you know, how the company became the company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, no, no, I'm sitting here thinking how hard it's going to be for you not to say the name of this. That I can no, I'll it's going to be out. fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But, um, just tell yourselves it's just going to be fine. No, and, and it's and it's all right, you know. Um, there will come a time for that, though. There will come a time for that. I just need to. I need to make sure that I'm going to be there when this airs. <laughs> 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 so, you know, like I say, I gotta have it processed by Saturday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, like you know, it's still kind of walking on eggshells here, and and the role that I have, a solutions architect, um, is way beyond my comfort zone. However, yeah, I have been extremely agile in my career. Right, I don't consider myself a career programmer or anything like that. Um, I consider myself an engineer of awesome solutions. If that happens to be code, so be it. If it happens to be a website, so be it. If it happens to be a freaking makeshift uh, cable box on a Raspberry Pi, so be it. Um, yeah, I just I just like cool, making cool stuff, right? And technology is always your enabler in that regards, as long as you know it. Um, and but that rabbit hole, there's no end to that rabbit hole. Like you just keep no. going deeper and deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. I, so. I, I don't think what you're talking about is that much of a stumbling block either. It's whenever the rabbit hole opens up to, oh, well, we want you to fly to company Y and see see what kind of enterprise server solution you can provide for these guys. And you show up on site and it's a couple PHP friggin' apps, and you know you have to replace it with an entire infrastructure that's or or, or worse or worse. It, um, you know, a company, the company tells you to go out to Y company, right? To go talk to them about a solution and you're sitting in a room with PhDs, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you're just like, you guys wrote the book on big data. Like what, what the hell am I doing here? You know, like I'm way out of my league. Impress us, just, small man. Then, yeah, exactly. And they're just like, well, talk to us about Java. And I'm just like, <laughs> like I can't. How does the JVM optimize parallel process? Start with hello, work a way up, right? Um, well, no, this this actually leads in one of our subjects for tonight, though. It, it's how how do developers, you know, become good at architecture, or should they be involved in architecture? Period. And it's all about learning. It's all about learning the business. So, if yeah, if you're not learning it. I'll actually tell you exactly what my mentor told me. One of my mentors. I won't mention names. You know, we're going we're gonna to leave that part blank. But he told me, he was like, as a developer, you spend so much time in the weeds, head down, buried into code, that you forget an entire world going on around you. And, and, and being good at architecture means being aware of that other world while also maintaining your edge in the technology. So he was like, your soft skills are just as important as your technical skills. And if you can't master both, you can't, you can't sell an architecture, right? So doing architectures, half of it is coming up with it. The other half is actually proving it and selling it to a business unit, right? 
whether whether it be you know upper management, side management, you know operations or marketing, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, he said that to me, and I was just like, "Wow, that's that's pretty profound," you know. And and he's been doing architecture for like fifteen years, um, as long as I've been coding, right? So, you know, if you talk, if you go back to you know when I first started, um, fifteen, sixteen years ago, he had just made that jump. To be to doing architecture, you know, this was during a time of the you know the two thousand dot com bubbles and all that stuff. Like, so you know, it it really kind of stuck with me, and I kind of took that to heart, and I found that that half the architect half of architecture, whether it be solutions architecture, enterprise architecture, uh, you know, you name it, that half of it is you know proving. A system interconnectivity and in, in all that case, you know, and solving a business problem, but also selling that, selling that to the business as, hey, here's how we could do it. Don't go buy, you know, don't go buy consultants or something to come in and, and wreck it or whatever, because you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. Um, well, how how many developers you think can really make that jump though? There's not a lot, right? So. There is a there is an upper ceiling there is an upper ceiling to people um, and it's and it really revolves around um, your aptitude and your ability to be charismatic and sell that idea right um, so if you look at people who do like TED talks and stuff like that you find that some of them are a little bit timid up on stage and stuff like that but some of them feel in their natural element and they're just fluid right so you kind of have to be that fluid kind of person. Um, if you're not that kind of fluid person, then it, it'll be difficult. It's, it won't be impossible because I'm kind of stiff sometimes too, but um, it's going to be definitely a challenge. And, and the longer you go without being that kind of people person with your soft skills and stuff like that, the harder it's going to be. I mean, I, I mean I'll, I'll tell you what, like the first few weeks were rough. And it's not because <laughs> I'm not, you know, a charismatic person or, you know, can can talk well or, or anything like that but just the fact that it, it relies so heavily on the soft skills way more than the technical skills that I kind of felt like I made a mistake right but I stuck with it you know I make a commitment to something I, I follow through you're in a really interesting position too in the fact that you work for a company with that role and eventually they're going to throw you into other companies and every single time it's going to require you to learn the business of a completely different company. And they're all different. To an extent. To an extent, Me right. Me and Zach used to argue about this point all the time is that, well, we, we both agreed, but we used to argue with other people because we, I don't know, we had a mentor that believed that everybody was sheep and that was the way it was always could be. But it was just that we used to try to defend them by saying that not all developers are even remotely interested in how business works. And if you're not interested in how business works, Architecture is not a good stepping stone. <laughs> it's not a place you want to be exactly for the reasons you just said. If you're not interested in how business works, you have no business being a programmer, <laughs> period. Because programmers provide business value. That's what we do. Well, we, don't, we don't provide cool things. We provide business value. Yeah, well, there, there's, a, there's another thing to think about as well. It, it goes across any industry, across any discipline. It, if if you if you as a person, it doesn't matter whether you're a developer, you're a doctor, or or you're you know a, a clerical position, if you're not interested in learning new things, if you're not interested in improving yourself or making yourself more marketable to your company, 
you're wasting time. So in that respect, as a developer, if you're not interested in the business, that means you're not interested in running anything new. You're just, you're just a robot. You're filling yeah. space. I mean, you're also kind of beholden to the, like the business units, you know, actually letting you in on that information, you know, Developing programs and solutions that can solve business problems. I know some places where you know IT is completely isolated from any kind of business interactions. Period. You know where they're looked at as as just a a service that's provided to them via corporate, right? So, yep. I mean, if you, as long as you're in, if you're in an environment where you have access to that information and you don't utilize it, then yeah, you're wasting your time. But I definitely do think that you know, especially with large business. Um, that there are entire departments that are completely isolated, that have their own agendas, that have no idea the business management process or the the business unit uh, values across you know across organizations. So, and and I've been in a few where, especially Department of Defense, where it's really not necessary that developers even care about how the business of the U.S. Army's acquisition system works. It's not even something they, they they even feel that they need to know. And they're right. They, they probably don't. But without knowing it, they're never going to make that jump. And, and to piggyback on what Zach just said was, it's a lot like a doctor wanting to know how hospital administration works because one day he wants to run the mug. That's, yes. that's, the di- that's the difference between a doctor who will always just be working on people's plantar fasciitis and someone who one day will be a hospital administrator and run the thing. And that's he still has to know how all of medicine works, even though he's in more of a business-oriented role. And that, I think a lot of people get blindsided. Gabe knew going in, but I, I think a lot of people get blindsided with, yeah, I want, to, I want that title. I want to be an architect. And they walk in there and go, what the hell did I just do? Yeah. And I can say, I've, I've been there. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, you know, there, there's, so your career path, they always mention, you know, it's a ladder, right? Climb a corporate ladder, Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And what they fail to realize is it's like shoots and ladders, right? It's all interconnected. They're all overlapping in some way or form, right? And you have to choose. Uh, you, have to, you have to choose a path, right? So, you know, some people, they can go and they, and they become great programmers, and that's all that they do. And they consider themselves, that's my career as a programmer. You know, the title of the show is Programmer versus World, right? Um, there are paths above that where you know a truly good programmer can shine. However, it's going to rely on skills that maybe the programmer hasn't nurtured or doesn't have. Period. Now, you know, some soft skills can be taught. You know, presentation, performance, eye contact, enunciation, dictation, things like that. But there's also part of it that can't be taught. And that's where people who are really, really good at architecture, that's where they get it from. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm still, talk to me again in a year and I'll just be like, oh, this is horrible, like architects are stupid, you know, like. it's <laughs> Well, it, it, I can tell you, I can tell you where you're going to go because I've been there for years now. It's that you're eventually going to get to the point where you're going to start getting up into this higher level garbage like TOGAF and DODAF and all these frameworks and all this crap. And you're going to go, is everyone is this real or are people just really bullcrapping all these companies into giving them money for certifications? Is any of this stuff even real? And and what started this whole thing is Zach actually watched a video from a guy named Simon Brown. I think I posted it yep. the other day on Slack actually, where he's talking about 
shouldn't developers just be the stakeholders of architecture and just let them go and you know they'll reverse engineer i'm paraphrasing it's not actually what he's saying but shouldn't they be the stakeholders of architecture and they just control where everything glows and then we'll figure out how it fits in later and that's tough because i sit in dod going no that's absolutely not what you should be doing i definitely think that i definitely think that developers certain ones have that ability to see a see a solution to a problem before the problem is even fully presented, right? Um, I think those people I would trust to make good architectural decisions, um, you know, eliminate technical debt and things like that, and build a build a pretty decent build a pre- pretty decent system. Um, there are some that I wouldn't touch with development environment, you know, um, and they know who they are. They know they're who they are. They're not allowed to set up their own desktop. They know who they are, right? <laughs> Um, they're there for one reason and one reason only because they know something technical that most average people don't um, and they can milk it for a paycheck, right? Um, in which case, I mean, by all means, inner office politics, stay cordial, but don't, don't ever attach yourselves to those kind of people. Um, otherwise, you'll end up one of well, them. I think it also depends what the business model is. And a lot of startups, the, the, those guys can really just let them go. But you're also hiring top talent at that point. But yeah. if, you're, if you're a more mature company, that, that's probably not a good idea. You want the developers to be in charge of our architecture. Because case in point, where I'm at now, um, that's what we're at. And we're trying to play cleanup now. It's, and it's, it's, it's a painful process. Yeah, the worst thing that could happen is it becomes the wild, wild west. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask that question then, since we're right we're right there. Because I personally think the whole concept of holacracy is actually bull bullcrap. I mean it's not I don't think it works. I think Google says, Oh yeah, holacracy works for us. We don't have managers and we all, you know, hold hands and sing kubaya and roast and make s'mores, but I think that's all crap. I don't think any of that really happens. I think what you have is a few engineers that are really, really good and are really have those soft skills and are really assertive that just do whatever they want. And because they had their act together, it worked. It's the lack of vision and oversight, right? But um, as, as far as the Google thing is concerned, um, let's, let's just say, you know, there's a, there's a side effect of Silicon Valley that nobody talks about. And that is, you know, these companies have this kind of media blitz, you know, we're so cool to work for and look at us, you know, holacracy and all that crap, but it's really leads leading the teams of people and they're being managed by managers. That's all it is, right? So you have you have a few extremely talented people that don't necessarily that aren't paid like managers are, right? So they get they get the added benefit of, you know, being paid less um, so that they can stay there. Um, but they manage these teams of really bright people. And their jobs are to kind of not only lead these teams, but pick out who's the next lead to come up and and manage teams and stuff. They, yeah, they call them technical evangelists and all that stuff, right? Um, and I have nothing against true evangelists, right? I think they're fantastic, and we need more of them for you know all the different things that are coming up because you know the landscape's changing so quick. But getting back to Google, um, you know, one of the reasons why Google, Facebook. And all them, they can say they have this kind of mentality is really because on the surface that's what it looks like. 
developers leading developers and everything's hunky-dory. Um, but what they fail to realize is there are lead developers there, tech leads, um, that report to managers. Managers report to executives. Executives report to VPs, so on and so forth. It's not like any other company. The only difference is you know, they're not treated like incompetent children. They're treated like the technical brilliance that they are. Um, sometimes I think good, sometimes bad. So you're missing one important characteristic of those leads though. Most of those leads are up to one, they inspire the people or motivate. And yeah, they're they're assertive type A's for sure. Yeah. Who's the, who's the woman that's the what COO of Facebook? Somebody Sandberg, uh, you know, whatever. She has this quote. She has this quote. That, Cheryl. Cheryl Sandberg, yeah. She has yeah. this quote that says, um, you know, the, the definition of a true leader is to make somebody great when you're there, even when you're not, right? So it's it, or something like that. I might be paraphrasing, but it's, it, you know. Coming from Facebook. Yeah, it's coming from Facebook. This is not Twitter, right? 140 characters, go. You know? <laughs> but no, but no, I, I, I truly believe that, right? So that, you know, really great leadership, you can have it and make people great that are around you, but when the moment that you leave, they continue to be great, you know, that's what, that's what proves good leaders from bad. Now, certain places where management has been neglected <laughs> and... Uh, Certain processes have been abandoned, completely thrown out the window. Um, where you have developers, well, let's just call it developer anarchy, right? Because that's exactly what that is, is where developers, while good intentions, um, all have different approaches to problems. No one, no one is, is working, no one is working as, yeah, no one is working as a coworker, right? Yeah, they're I heard working. They're they are co- they are co-working, right? But here's what's interesting on that because you just brought that up. Somewhere out there, I've got to find it. I because we had to adjust because we lost a guest today. I didn't have time to go through and grab these links. But there is a study out there that supposedly has empirical evidence that says the reason teams don't really work in software is due to the psychological concept of groupthink and compromise that everyone does together. So that when you force people to follow this rigid hierarchy, what ends up happening is they end up ruining the product because they compromise too much. And, uh, <laughs> but that, I mean, that tends to go along with why the holacracies like at Google are so powerful is because it's really just one or two people that are leading all the architecture ideas and everybody else is just kind of on board with it and they don't have to oh, yeah. compromise. Yeah, absolutely. But for, for some reason that doesn't work though in the anarchy situation where it absolutely should because anyone can do whatever they want and it's still not working. So in an anarchy situation, your best case scenario is for some technical lead to stand up out of that, out of that craziness and kind of take the reins and take charge, right? We've seen it before. We've seen it before um, where then they can kind of play sheriff to the anarchy, right? But that's really, really daunting. I mean, that's, that's, that's a job in and of itself. Um, it's like herding cats. Yeah, something like that. You know, it, it's, it's like herding cats, right? Like you're the cat lady, and like all of these are your children, and you have to feed them to make sure that they don't piss on your furniture. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 horrible. 
Um, but no, I, I definitely think that you know, in, in some in some some companies, you know, a holistic approach, um, you know, if they have a tech lead that can corral a hundred brilliant minds without cracking, um, good on them. If uh, if they have a guy who can lead ten guys without cracking, uh, good on them. I mean, ultimately, it boils down to the company culture and maintaining that company culture, letting everybody know about that company culture. So even when you have people that are brought in from other companies with competing company cultures, you don't poison the well. Yeah, I don't don't think anyone does that anymore. I don't don't think they think it's important. Oh, they do. So for a current company that I work for that we will not talk about, that's exactly what's happening now. That's a real software company, though. That is someone who makes operating systems. Yeah. See now, now you just ruined it. No, I just narrowed no, it down. They'll they'll figure it out anyway. All five of the listeners are pretty sharp, but um, <laughs> it doesn't start with M. So let's let's just. <laughs> um, no, but I think you you get to see you get to see something that you would probably not see if you were just hanging around in this market like in Orlando working on these other baby companies either. So yeah. I, I mean, again, I I mean, I've worked for some really large companies before, but never long enough for me to really get the company culture. Uh, it's mostly been startups and medium-sized business, right? Small to medium-sized business. Um, mainly because I go in there, show them that I'm a master of all these things, they pay me some money, I do something awesome, I go home. I never really thought of it as a career, right? That was so hard to listen to. But that was my mentality for 15 years, was just going in there and being like, well, I know I know JavaScript, web design, stuff like that. Just just go for it, right? So I mean, it's it's really been an interesting ride. Where I mean, I didn't I didn't go to college for what I do. This is just something that I've just picked up and learned and and gone with. You know, I, I just ran with it. So, but no, I think large. Let me get back on point. Large software corporations have this issue, and it's not just software corporations, but any large corporation that has a, a brand or an image that they like to foster that they can tr- call truly unique and theirs has this problem where when they bring in people, especially from competitors, and they bring in people that they make sure that that company culture doesn't come along with them. Because if you poison that well, then you could have you know the zealots on the, on the fringe talk about rah, 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 this is who we are, but the rest of the company not buy it, not you know, not practice that or anything, in which case it's just empty words. So it's a very, very important for a company to not forget the roots, not forget their image, and make sure that bringing people on board get that, right? Hammer it into them. Week-long sessions of just, you know, this is the company, this is the brand. Hammer it into them, man, so that, you know, they come out of it looking, hey, I feel different. I feel transformed, you know? Um, I realize that could be expensive in the long run, forcing everybody to go through week-long training like that. But you know, yeah. it's, it's, something that, it's something that companies need to look at as as a as an operational expense for bringing on new hires and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting that um, we just the word "no degree" just came in there because this week, other than being the same week for the Build Conference, was also. The same week for a conference called Saturn 15, which is a thing at Carnegie Mellon they do all the time. It's where all the architects, architecture uh, conferences and speakers go. 
And a lot of these people are, these are PhDs that are in the field and they're actually performing empirical studies. And there's one just recently that was something like 47 million developers that were polled, over 41.8% of them were self-taught. There's yeah. only 37% actually had a bachelor's degree in anything. And you also find a lot of these developers, you know, maybe when they're being polled, when they're asking, do you have a degree in what you do, say no, when really they have a degree in English or a degree in mathematics or something, you know, something, something like that. Um, it's very, very rare for a person, especially with my background and my nature, to get where they're at. I am, I am one in a million. And that's, and, that's no, and that's no joke, man. If you really, if you really understood you know, the history and how I came and everything, it's, it's pretty special. Another weird part is the downfall of certifications and boot camps and everything, too. That number's starting to fall. It's like certifications are no longer worth anything. In the overall market, I would agree, right, that boot camps, certifications, you know, the, the week-long corporate training, that, that is declining, right? As better and better online yeah. training becomes available, you know, video streaming, Stuff like that is is even companies that you know like they're in Orlando like Envy Labs with uh, Code School, you know it's 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 a big business opportunity. Um, however, the sales for training could never be higher for certain certain products um, that require you know certifications, right? So so for big business, you know companies want to make sure that the people who are working on their big business interests are certified. Um, so there is, in big business, still a large market for certifications and training and things like that. Um, I, I actually cared about certifications when I was a junior developer, um, just to prove that I knew that I was good. Um, I have since disregarded them as kindling for a fire because it's just a worthless piece of paper. However, um, there are cases where you want to do business with this other company or whatever. They want to make sure that it's in good hands. And that, I think, that reassurance, I think, is, is really where the value of certifications and stuff comes in. It, it hits a, a diminishing return, though. It I does. Mean, it what's, does. Hap- what's happening now is, uh, if you look in the Department of Defense, which I still am, uh, I'm not going to say where, but... There was a big emphasis a long time ago on, well, you need some security training. So Security Plus from CompTIA became the gold standard, and then that was moved, and then it's been moved again. Now people with a CISSP are coming in and getting the jobs for security, but the truth is these guys just test king to test off a referral that someone else gave them, and it's really, it's in a dangerous situation, right? Because now the high demand for such a high-level certification or ethical hacker, you just have people that are deliberately coming in right out of test king, passing the test, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're even more vulnerable than you were before when you had one or two guys that just... Yeah, and this, is, this, this actually started in the 90s, right? Um, <clears throat> where you know certification was supposed to be the final stamp, we certify you to say you know it inside and out, right? And it was this really really high standard. Um, some companies started pioneering that, you know, um, in parallel. Uh, we won't mention who started first, um, but no, they they you know they they view these certifications as that upper echelon of excellence uh, that everyone should strive to achieve. 
Um, and then they market people who get those as you know the experts, the leading world experts on this technology, um, which is where that value and that high demand came from. However, in the corporate greed to make certifications, uh, basically to turn certifications into a commodity product that can be uh, easily reproduced at zero to little cost, um, they've been taking people's money and accepting people that should not have been in that class to begin with um, and, and putting them through a v- extremely coached certification process just so that they can reap in benefits of this individual being out there as an expert because there are certain monetary commitments involved. Um, yeah, it's pay to play. Yeah, and, and, and so... But- there- but some would argue that the degree is pay to play too, though. I mean, yeah, I, certain in certain cases, right? In certain cases, like if you don't have if you don't have the passion and aptitude before you go in, you know, a, uh, a you know a college degree and stuff like that could help. However, um, in cases where you already have that passion, you already have that drive. Cases like myself, um, where I actually went to an entire semester of college, and knew way more than the professors did. And I looked at them like, are you kidding me? I'm paying eight grand for this? Like, I'm running circles around you. This is ridiculous. And so I, I dropped out and joined the workforce the next day. Um, I mean, I was in part of the workforce before that. But but yeah, no, I think with certifications, let's get back on tar- target here. Uh, certification, I think some companies embrace it as, you know, a uh, that seal of approval. There are still some companies like that. Um, however, there are some companies who look at that as just a uh, just a factory where they can pull in people, give them a week of, of kind of BS training, you know, charge them three grand, and then send them right back on the field again with a, this piece of paper. Um, where people who don't know know any better would be like, "Oh, they're certified," when really, you know, they're a certified piece piece of crap. Not that they're a piece of crap. You know, there's a lot of developers out there that won't go the route that we did. They won't go down the architecture route. Instead, they'll decide to be a manager, and one day they'll be put in a position where they have to hire these the next yeah. wave of people coming yeah. in, and they're going to realize just how hard it is just to sit in there and listen to these interviews. Yeah, when you look at a resume that has you know a list of these certifications that that sound like they're you know expert level material. Um, you know, you kind of get you kind of get uh, bait and switched, right? Where you, you you talk to a person, and they may they may be you know phenomenally charismatic on the phone, but when you actually get them in front of the developers, who who uh, quite honestly know better, right? Um, they just get destroyed, torn apart. I've seen it time and time again on interviews that both I've done and that I've taken, um, where where somebody just gets destroyed because they don't know. They don't know enough to warrant their expert level stamp of approval, their expert level certifications. So a few companies that come to mind as still providing an excellent certification uh, repertoire and something that still has a 60% fail rate, um, you know, Red Hat comes to mind. There's a couple others, uh, you know, uh, Pivotal... You know, pivotal spring training, not spring. You know, 
spring basics or anything like that, but like the real meat of spring, the integrations, the big data stuff, like you get certifications in that stuff, spring batch, you know, you could go, go do, uh, you know, queue to transactions and stuff for big banks and stuff and, and actually know that tech, you know, inside and out. It'd really be really good. Some VMware stuff. Um, and there's a, there's a couple other ones, like some of the Cisco stuff, some of the really, really top level Cisco stuff, you know, where you're network engineering data centers, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know, certifications. Where there's practical exams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that kind of stuff is, is definitely better. I don't think you should be able to pass it by just being able to, to run a test king on it and then get it done. The reason, the reason Red Hat is so difficult for people is just knowing the test isn't enough. You have to have used the operating system for a few years to even know how to do some of the stuff they're going to ask you to do. Yeah. Because like a paper, que- a paper question on what flags to give a command to get the result that you want is something that only people that have used the operating system can get. You're not going to memorize Oh, and it's not even, not even on paper exams, right? If they have hands-on labs where you have to do it hands-on, where they're sitting there grading you and watching every command that you type in, like you type, you mistype two commands, you mistype two commands, and you're out. Like it's 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 hard. And there's people who you know have been you know Linux systems administrators for years that have gone you know after like four or five years gone to try to get their certifications and failed multiple times. Um, so there's yeah they have to apply the so test yeah. they have to have done so there's, it again like I said there's some there's some companies who with certifications you know they provide that added value and where the the value of the certification itself is still a gold standard still really high um, but there are companies too that use certifications as just a way to gain training money um, just to hold training just to employ more people and just get more sales people out there um, by people who are familiar with that technology and because and, everybody evangelizes to some degree, right? Um, just to get them out there and become moles for these other companies so that they can have sales opportunities. That's exactly what they do. In my eyes, at least. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen from the brief times that I've been in big business, you know, I used to work for a gigantic four-letter company uh, it's multinational, multi-global company. Uh, that was exactly like that, right? That where they would, you know, they would hire these guys who had these kind of BS certifications and stuff to do things. They're incompetent shows, but managers are oblivious to that because on paper, when they're actually reporting up to their higher ups, you know, of who they have on the team and and how things are going on paper, it looks fantastic, right? They have all these engineers with certifications and and everything's going fine. Meanwhile, a database is melting, hard drives are failing, and you know code can't compile. Like it's it's it it just gets to the point where enough's enough, you know. Yeah, government is a great place to observe that too because right. the, the, there's a, the whole system base, especially if they're a civilian or a, a CETA contractor type that are actually considered government employees, because their promotions are based upon basically. Uh, a system like Skillport that has all of their certifications. It's a guarantee. And that's how they get points. It's a guarantee, yeah. right? Why wouldn't you? All you have to do is just go past these certifications, you know, take some training courses, and uh, we'll see you next quarter. We are way out of a developer. <laughs> way off track when it comes to uh, what our listeners would probably want to be hearing, which is a good segue into... Uh, well, it's, it's the this business, isn't, right? This isn't stereotypically our episode one is not... We're, we're very high-level topics today because we can't dive into the lower-level ones without all of our guests here. So 
we're kind of skimming over and we're providing information from uh, going from development to architecture, but I can guarantee the listeners in the future we will be having conversations about yeah, code. More developer yeah. friendly. For the listeners, uh, I would say thank you for listening to this episode. I know it's scatterbrained and crazy, and believe me, the show will get more organized as time goes on, and uh, we've got a lot of information to get out, and I think in between four people, if we can ever just have enough time that we can all tell these stories. I even had stories from today that I thought would be interesting, but I'll save them. But Dude, there's not going to be enough time. We're going to have to have like a four-hour marathon show every every week because... I I know. If we could just cover... I was... Well, well, I was thinking today, if we could just cover everything we talked about in Slack, if we could have just not done it there and done it on this podcast, how cool that would have been, but that would have been eight hours of damn material, you know? Hey, that's eight episodes. <laughs> so I, I'm really I'm gonna have to start scrolling back through the buffer of Slack and go. Okay, Dean, tell your flight story. All right, Gabe, let's hear the. You know, no, but it's uh, fine. You know, the, uh, add, the add-on for flight sim you're working on. You know, all this stuff has got. Yeah. And you know, if we have to cut a stream and fade it into the next episode, you know, we'll just do it previously <laughs> on Programmer versus World. And then just have you know have you top of the key just kind of ranting on you know and and it'll be fine, and for our listeners that's that's just going to be that's just going to be how it is. We'll we'll try to we'll try to come on and have an outline, but if we pick up a rant mid rant, you know we're not going to have like three hour long shows because time is precious. But uh, I can't wait to where we can do this in the live deal and actually have people asking questions and stuff. That's the dreams one day. Just yeah. to have. I don't even care if I don't even care if it's 20, 20 people as long as they have valid questions. That's yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah, that works. But, uh, all right. Well, you've been listening to Programmer versus World. Actually, you've been listening to Gabe versus World. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Get used to it, buddy. <laughs> and this has been episode one. You guys have a pleasant day. Your show is mine. <laughs> <laughs>